And now, enjoy this free JZO Modcast show. Carry on our way, well, son. There'll be peace when you are done. Lay your weary head to rest. Don't you cry. Hey everybody, welcome to Lupa's Bits. I am your host Lupa and this is episode 104. So, I got a little housekeeping this week. Uh, yeah, we are back on the wall. That's not the housekeeping. <laughs> I have it in note form because he sends it to me in my messenger. And you know what? I didn't even do a sound test. I didn't do a sound check. I didn't do nothing this week. Good grief. I am like completely off the ball. We are 30 seconds in. I am not starting over. I can see that there are little lines and it is picking something up. Maybe I should check it. Hold on. I'll be right back. All right. Good news is I don't have to re-record that 30 seconds because it was perfectly fine. So I'm just picking up from where I said I'll be right back because guess what? I am back. All right. So we are going to take care of some housekeeping. First on the docket. Dark Myth Publications horror-themed imprint Zombie Works is gearing up for its annual October anthology release, Unwelcomed Tales of Hauntings and Possessions. It's a good thing I can edit on the fly. I'm glaring at my uh, live studio audience. Uh, if you've not sent your submissions in, do it today because... As of the release of this podcast, the deadline is up as of midnight California time. So um, get your submissions in. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know why I'm telling you this in the podcast because, well, if you're listening to it Friday morning, then you have all day. Get your submissions in. We have a few spots left. Uh, we extended the deadline because we do have a certain number that we like to meet. And uh, like I said, we do have a few spots left. And if we go over that number, we're fine. We'll, we'll put them in. But we do like to have a minimum amount. So let's go, people. Get them in. You know you got them. You know you got a good ghost story that you heard when you were a kid or somebody's uncle's cat's dog's brother's sister-in-law got possessed. Come on. Let's see those stories. All right. And you can send them to zombieworkspublications at yahoo.com. Get a pen. This is a long one. Z-O-M-B-I-E-W-O-R-K-S-P-U-B-L-I-C-A-T-I-O-N-S at yahoo.com. All right, number two, Dark Myth Comics has obtained the contract to produce Walter G. Esselman's Liberty's Run for help as a four-issue comic book miniseries. Woot, woot! <laughs> Y'all know I love Liberty. Y'all know she's my girl. I would hang out with her any day of the week. Um, it will be written by Walter himself and penciled by Idris Yusuf from American Smash and Higher Learning. Uh, number three. So congratulations, Walter. Welcome to Dark Myth Comics. I am sure you will be happy and um, you will be amazed with the artwork and the quality and... We will do liberty justice. Dark myth will do liberty justice. 
number three, PCE will be looking for sponsorship for this year's event to help in bring, bring <laughs> like I said, it's a good thing I can edit on the fly, um, to help bring in bigger main guests, not bigger man guests. I mean, I'm sure some of them will be male, but could be females too. So, you know, bigger main guests. So contact Dave at PCE at jazelmondarkmyth.com or go to www.pcehd.com. So again, take that pen, write this down. PCE at J-A-Y-Z-O-M-O-N-D-A-R-K-M-Y-T-H.com. And if you want to be a sponsor, you can sponsor $10, $20, $1,000, whatever you want to sponsor. You can be a sponsor and you can have your logo on the merch and on the flyers as a sponsor. Because, <laughs> I mean, we have some really big names. He's <laughs> Dave's being silly. Um, we have some really big names that we want to bring to you, and we could use a little help from our friends. So it's great advertising for you guys. It's a tax write-off. Um, so, yeah, let's get a hold of Dave. Number four, finally, finally, we can announce the winners of the fourth annual Open Contract Challenge. Can you believe that? Fourth annual fourth annual we have changed the lives of four eight twelve people i'm about to change the lives of 16 people because yeah four times four is six no four times wait four times three anyway you know what i mean we've changed i'm no good at math i'm telling you and my live studio audience is killing himself laughing because he just kind of watched my brain's short circuit trying to do that math. For the last four years, we have changed the lives of three people every single year. You do the math. Ah, there we go. Okay, so third place. Drum roll. That's the best I can do. Uh, third place is Rada DeVille, who will win a $50 Visa gift card. <laughs> ah. Trying to maintain an, an air of professionalism, and my live studio audience is waving wieners at me. <sighs> okay. Third place is Rada DeVille, who will win a $50 Visa gift card. Congratulations, Rada. Well done. Second place is Robert P. Otone, who receives an ebook contract for his manuscript, Last Horror Hero, and a $100 Visa gift card. <coughs> Visa gift card. Oh, hang on. All of a sudden, it felt like I had a hunk of cotton in my throat. Okay. Let me try that one again. Second place is Robert Piatone, who receives an ebook contract for his manuscript, Last Horror Hero, and a $100 Visa gift card. And finally, let's see if I can do this without coughing. The winner of the fourth annual Open Contract Challenge 2022 is Cliff Flint. His book, Promised Rewards, 
will receive a contract to be produced in ebook and paperback form. A round trip ticket to California for PCE 2023, where he will be given a table and copies of his award winning books to sell at the event, and a $200 Visa gift card. Congratulations to all three winners. <clears throat> I want to thank you all, everybody who has submitted to this contest over the years. I want to thank you guys because you have brought us to our fourth annual open contract challenge winner. Without you guys submitting, there wouldn't be a contest. And I want to congratulate our three winners this year. Um, let me tell you, it's going to be a hell of a ride uh, having your book published and coming to PCE, having an ebook published, even getting third place. It is an incredible experience and something that you can put on your 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 um, resume, something you can put on your website, you can have stamped on your book when you get it published. Winner of PCE whatever, whatever, you know, 2022, the year that you won, you can have that on there. It's, it's, uh, it's quite an honor and, and a thrill. Um, so congratulations to our three winners and uh, we will be gearing up for... <laughs> We will be gearing up to start next year in March. Is that when we start? In March. One. Nine. March 19th. All right. So uh, March 19th is when Open Contract Challenge 2023 will start. So I am looking forward to meeting Cliff Flint at PCE this year, this year, next year, next year, next year, 2023. So I'm very excited about that. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's a great contest. You have nothing to lose and everything to gain. You don't have to pay to submit your work and there's no entry fee. So yeah, it's really cool. Um, I want to talk a little bit about the first piece of housekeeping that um, I did. Uh, there was has been a bit of confusion. I don't know if it's um, lost in translation because the English is not their first language, which we do have a lot of people that submit that English isn't their first language. So sometimes there is a bit of a language barrier and a bit of a translation barrier. Um, each anthology that Zombie Works that we put out under the Zombie Works brand is um, under, the, under the Zombie Works imprint is themed. Um, Full Moon and Howling, those were all werewolf stories. Natural Instincts, those were all stories of witches, wizards, warlocks, magic, things like that. Um, Epidemic was again zombies. Um, you can't kill me. I'm already dead. Those were vampires. So you see each anthology has a theme. This theme is hauntings and possessions. And you can usually figure out the theme by the title, but in the write up how we want it, it will tell you what we're looking for. So, um, if you're planning on submitting a vampire story or a zombie story, it's not going to make it. I, I don't care how well written it is. 
I don't care if it is a fantastic story. Um, it's not going to be in the anthology because it doesn't fit the theme. So just, you know, a little FYI. If the theme is stated, if the title is stated, that's what we're looking for. We are not going to accept anything else outside of that theme for that anthology. I mean, if we were writing an anthology about butterflies, then everything in that anthology had better deal with butterflies. We're not going to put something in the anthology about a toad. Unless the toad is making friends with a butterfly. Just saying. Uh, okay, so that is the housekeeping for this week. Um, I am at my sister's. I told you I was going to be here this week, and that is where I am. And I am podcasting from my niece's room, so it might sound a little different. I was going to sit up in the office, but my brother-in-law had some work to do, so I'm here. <laughs> and I want to share with you, um, I want to talk a little bit about MythBits. Uh, Tim is doing a fantastic job over there on MythBits, and he's actually really um, coming up with some thought-provoking questions and... Um, I'm really pondering how I want to answer some of those questions because it has caused me to kind of sit back and go, well, yeah, like he brought up a whole um, thing about marketing and how an author markets themselves. Well, I've been on both sides. I've been the author with the contract and, and that, that wide eyed, fresh faced, naive, you know, I hand you my book and that's it. I'm done. You do everything else kind of author. And that's not how it works. That's not how it works with the big publishing houses. That's not how it works with the small publishing houses. It's really not how it works with the smaller publishing houses, um, especially with ours, because we don't, we're not a vanity press. So you don't pay anything to us for any of the marketing that we do, any of the uh, social media promotion that we do, or any of the publishing or the editing or the cover um, creation or the writing of the back blurb. If there isn't one, generally you write your own back blurb, but sometimes it needs to be fixed. So when it comes to marketing yourself as an author and getting your book out there, Nobody's going to read a book that they don't know the author. So you need to build a fan base. We can't give you a fan base. We can't create a fan base for you. We can give you outlets to where you can um, get your work out there. You can try and create a fan base, but you're the one that needs to do it. You're the one that they're going to connect with, not us. That's going to be you. So I had to kind of learn on the fly what to do. And um, I did a few podcasts and some of the podcasts that I did, I kind of was like, this is a joke. This is ridiculous. This is nobody's going to be listening to this. This isn't going to go anywhere. This isn't going to I'm running this podcast and I'm not even the host. Um. So you can do podcasts. I would just be very particular about which ones you go on. Um, I mean, go on as many as you can. Get on as many as you can. Any way that you can talk about yourself and your work is good. 
but um, don't. I subjected myself to a few podcasts that I regret doing um, because I feel that they diminished my work. I feel that they diminished who I was as a person and they weren't very well done. And I feel that um, I was trying to get um, my, my information out there. I was trying to get people to be aware of my book. And um, I had very little opportunity to actually talk about those things. Uh, it was more of a joke situation. So uh, listen to a few episodes of the podcast you're considering being on before you get on that podcast, because it may not be a podcast that you want to be put on if you're trying to be um, to market yourself as a serious author and you're trying to get out some serious marketing on a new release. Like I said, there are a few podcasts that I do regret doing in the beginning, but um, I think I've kind of redeemed myself <laughs> in that realm. Um, but I found that the easiest way, I guess I am kind of answering Tim's question. The easiest way to market myself was to put myself out there for sale and not like standing on a corner and cheap lipstick and ripped up nylons. No, um, I went to events. I did farmer's markets. I did the tall ships. I did um, sci-fi fantasy street fair. I did Ad Astra. Um, I went to conventions and expos and outdoor events and I had a table and I talked to people. I just talked to people um, and in talk, people will come and they'll look at your book and you, you learn after a while how to read your audience, how to read the people in front of you. And I will tell you, I sold just as many books, just as many eternally bound romance, fantasy, well, not really fantasy, it's historical fiction romance, I sold just as many of them to men as I did to women. And I had women with standing there with their husbands purchasing the book. And actually I had one husband be a smart ass. He's like, so tell me, what is it about? You like pirates? No, I don't mind them, he says. Okay. Do you like cannons? Yeah. Cannons are cool. They work. And um, so I explained to him the pepper box configuration that I made for the rotating cannons on the deck of the ship hidden under crates that moved, lifted and moved. And these cannons slid into place and they were two pound, five pound and seven pound balls. How I made a trebuchet, a handheld trebuchet um, out of wood and a scorpion and how I created the gunpowder with a delayed fuse so that not only did the cannonball strike the person and, and cause damage, but once it struck them, it also blew up. The guy's standing there looking at me going, it blew up stuff. Like, yep, 
I blow shit up. <laughs> so his wife, I ran into his wife. Um, this is when I lived in Florida, or when I was staying in Florida uh, the first year. And I ran into uh, the wife, I guess it was about a week and a half later. And she said, oh, I just started your book. I just love it. I'm like, you just started it now. You bought it a week and a half ago. And she says, I know my husband had to read it first. Oh, okay. <laughs> Apparently he loved it too. There's enough in the book for men to um, relate to. There's the building of the ships. There's um, the scenes at the lumberyard. There's fighting. There's there's shooting. There's blowing shit up. <laughs> there's enough in the book that a man can enjoy it just as much as a woman. And you'd be surprised at how many men enjoy a good romance if somebody dies, somebody gets blown up, if something gets blown up, if fire and explosions are involved in some form or another. There'll be a lot of that. So you learn to read your audience. You learn to, to read people um, when you're talking to them in person. So I can honestly say there are only two, two events that I have been to that I have not sold out completely. And that's because of both the events that I was at that I didn't sell out completely. I wasn't even at my table. I bet you if I had stayed at my table and I had had a chance to talk to people, I would have sold my books. It's the only reason. Because you are your best marketing tool. You are the only one that is going to be as passionate about your book as anybody else can be. Because it's your baby. You wrote it. You know those characters inside and out. You know the story inside and out. So you can sell it with passion, with excitement, with, you know, enticing words. You can sell that book. It's like a car salesman, a really good car salesman. That doesn't make you feel like he's a slimy car salesman. That makes you feel good about going in and dropping 14 grand on a car that's going to break down three months later. You learn to sell yourself. Because if when you're a new author, and by new I mean you have less than 10 years published experience. You have less than 100 to 150 books, individual books published. You are still considered technically a new author. Um, so like when I first became an author, I had one book, one. What? Oh, awesome. Okay, power just went out. Power's back. <laughs> uh, don't think it glitched. Not sure what happened. But we're good. We'll figure it out. Message my sister. Just, you know, because now I want to know. Um, I, uh, nobody knew who I was. I mean, yes, I did the six-month stint on the world of myth. It's part of the contract. It's you know, affectionately labeled the loop of laws. <laughs> you have to submit a story and build an audience once a month, every month for six months. 
and then your book will be published. It'll, your book will come out. Now, if you miss a month, then you have to go an extra month. The longer like you you drag this out, the longer. But you you have to submit and you build your fault. You build a following on the world of myth. I had no idea what size of following I had. Um, you, I created myself. I created video ads that I would plug uh, once a week, every week for I think the last four weeks before the book came out. I think I did four of them. Um, looking at them now, they're cheesy, they're crappy, they're, but I was still learning to market myself and I didn't have the money to hire somebody to market me, to make me these great ads. I mean, I can make pretty good ads now, but that's because I've had four years experience doing it. I have had numerous, numerous hours of learning programs and creating ads like the ones that you see on Facebook now for MythMart, for Dark Myth, for Zombie Works. I created that ad. Um, so I can make a whole lot, a whole lot better ads now for my books, which when I have time, I'm going to do because I need to market myself. I still need to market myself. That book has been out for four years. I still need to market myself. I still need to get it out there. I still need to sell myself. I'm not a, a, you know, sit back and collect the royalties on my work author. No, Stephen King still has to market himself. Nora Roberts still has to market herself. Nothing Daniel Steele does. Um, but you see where I'm going. Like they, Laurel K. Hamilton, my favorite author. Absolutely love her. She has... Um, there's like 20 books in the Anita Blake series or more. And then I think there's like 10 or more in the Mary Gentry series. And then she's just started another series. But she is all over Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. She's out there. She's making the posts. She's doing the social media. She's making sure that her name is relevant every single day. She's commenting on relevant topics in today's world that she feels strongly about. Now, I don't necessarily agree with a lot of her politics, but the point of the matter is, I don't agree with her politics, but I see her every single day. I log into my Twitter. There's her tweet, or three or four of her tweets. I log into Instagram. There's a picture of her cat. And it's not just about your books. Like, you, you have to get your readers to see you as a person. They have to realize that the name on the book is a living, breathing, mistake-making, fumbling, broken-hearted, wearing mismatched socks or pajama pants to Walmart kind of person. And I say that because I wore my pajama pants out the other day, the ones that my boyfriend calls my pajama pants. And I wore them with sandals. No socks. With sandals. With oh, he's glaring at me right now. It's hilarious. And as I was wearing them, I was telling my sister that if Dave could see me right now, he would have a coronary. He would not let me out of the house in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> so your your readers need to see. They need to connect with you. They need to know that you're not this fictional character 
that you make mistakes, you you get angry, you get hurt, you get happy. Um, Laura K. Hamilton, her daughter is on the autism spectrum. She is also um, dyslexic, and there's another Lexia, but I can't remember. Um, what it is she talks openly about the struggles that she has with her daughter and the struggles that her daughter has so you you can connect with her on a parental level um some of the things she's done has gotten her some major flack but she's like you know what this is my kid and this is what works for my kid and you're not going to tell me that I am doing anything wrong with my kid. I think one of the things that she was talking about was that after um, her daughter was diagnosed, they decided not to have any more children. And somebody jumped on her and said, how could you deprive your child of a sibling, of the love of a sibling? How could you deprive yourself of grandchildren? Because her daughter will never have children. Her daughter will never have a relationship. So... She jumped in and she says, how could I deprive my daughter of all of the attention that she is going to need as she grows and develops and lives a fully productive life, a life full of quality by bringing another child into the world that may or may not suffer with the same disabilities. And I thought, you know, that makes perfect sense because my son and my daughter-in-law made the exact same choice. My grandson is autistic. Now, the more he grows, the older he gets, his autism is starting to, um, it's not as, it doesn't look like it's going to be as severe as they may have thought in the first place because he is growing and learning and changing in leaps and bounds. Um He's still a tiny little dude. <laughs> He's my my four-year-old, soon-to-be five-year-old grandson is the same size as my three-year-old niece. <laughs> He's a little hobbit. It's okay. I love hobbits. Um, he has his meltdowns. He has his things that he can't handle. But he may be a high-functioning autistic person. But as much as my daughter-in-law wanted another baby, as much as she wanted a little girl or another little boy, her and my son had a long talk. And when they made this decision, they didn't know this, what direction James's autism was going to go. And they made the decision to devote all of their time, all of their energy to James and what he may need in the future. He's definitely going to need a therapy dog um, because he's a runner. <laughs> when he gets overstimulated, he takes off. He climbs things like, you know, tall buildings, like posts, big rocks. If you have a house that has bricks and he can get a grip and he can get his little toes into the brick, you know how some of those houses have like a brick in and a brick out and a brick in and a brick out. He will climb that to get away from you. And he doesn't have the, the, the ability, he doesn't have the concept of fear. He doesn't have that action consequence thing 
like he has climbed up the couch to the windowsill and fallen off and hit the floor and hurt himself. And it doesn't register in his brain that if you do that again, the same thing's going to happen and it's going to hurt. He gets up, forgets that it hurts, climbs up again. So the therapy dog would keep him at a safe level. When he starts um, melting down, he one of the things that works with him is weight, is pressure. Um, he will wedge himself in between the cushions of the couch because the pressure of the cushions make him feel safe. So what this dog would do is lie on his legs. Or James would lie down on the floor and the dog would lie on him and hold him down and give him that, that secure, you know, the weighted blanket security feeling. That's what this dog would do. So they're on the list for that. But they decided that they wanted to give James the best life possible. And to do that, because they're not rich by any stretch of the imagination, they both work. They live in a two-bedroom apartment. And to do that, then they had to make the decision to not have any more children, which means my son will never have, he may never have a grandchild. My son may never see his son get married or have a relationship or even live on his own. But they were willing to make that sacrifice and to sacrifice those things to give their son the best possible life they could. Because he was diagnosed at an early age. He was diagnosed, I think he was two but a year and a half, too, when he was diagnosed. So, I mean, a lot of parents don't find out. Um, and because Amber is, um, she's slightly autistic, she was kind of expecting it. So it wasn't um, a real shock for them. It wasn't something that they're like, no, 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 no. We need more opinions. We need more testing. We need more of this. We need more of that. Um, but... As much as it hurts me that I will never have a granddaughter with my son's beautiful brown eyes or Amber's beautiful face and, and amazingly sarcastic sense of humor. God, I love that girl. <laughs> I will have my grandson. And he will always be my grandson, my first grandson. And, you know, parents do the best they can with the tools they have. And that was something that I had to learn a long time ago that I had to reconcile in my head because I was not by any stretch of the imagination, a perfect parent. Um, my kids will tell you that I sucked. Uh, at least my boys will. My Things were different when my daughter came along. Um, I was a different person when I had my daughter. I had done a lot of therapy by that point in time, and I had done a lot of soul searching and a lot of changing, and I was not the same person when I had my daughter as I was. Um, now, when I first had her, I was pretty broken. I was pretty messed up, and um, from about the age of four on, her life was totally different than her brother's. 
Um, it was totally different from the beginning anyway, but her relationship, her upbringing from me was totally different than what her brothers experienced. Um, I'm not going to get into details because that is between me and my boys, but we don't have a, well, we don't have any relationship right now, but um, that's because my oldest boy's an idiot and he needs to get his head out of his ass and, you know, see things for what they really are, not what he wants them to be, not what his misguided uh, sense of morality thinks they should be. Um, anyway, that's again another story, but I respect the choices that they made. And I, <laughs> I was a baby when I had babies, okay? I look back now, I was 18 years old, almost 19. I was 18 when I had Andrew and I was 18 when I got married for the first time um, because I was pregnant. <laughs> Truth be told, uh, yeah, it was because I was pregnant. Um, we went and told my mom and dad and my dad looked at Andrew's dad and said, you're marrying her, right? And seven weeks later, we were married. Um, I'm kind of known for quick, quick marriages. Good grief. Um, but they wanted me married before I was showing. So, <laughs> so that, you know, I could still wear white and uh, continue with the facade. Um, really screwed everything up when Andrew was premature. <laughs> Because he was born way before he was supposed to be. But, um, yeah, so I don't know where I was going with this. Now my brain just blipped. It's brain fart. I don't know what happened. Um, yeah, I was young. I was a baby when I had my babies. I had Andrew when I was 18. I had, I got married when I was 18. I couldn't even drink at my own wedding. Not because I was pregnant. I mean, I was pregnant when I got married, but I was underage. <laughs> you can be 18 to get married, but you need to be 19 to get drunk at your own wedding. I could not drink at my own wedding because I was underage. In Canada, the legal drinking age is 19. So, yeah, I couldn't drink at my wedding because I was only 18 years old. <laughs> Go figure. I can get married. I can run a household. I can become somebody's wife but I can't drink. That's against the law. I can vote, but I can't drink. Sometimes you need to drink before you can vote. Um, and then I had Andrew when I was 18. I had William when I was 20. Uh, yeah. And then I had Katie when I was 28. 28? 38. I was 38 when I had Katie. No, wait. I don't know. Hold on. <laughs> I need my calculator. <laughs> oh. I don't know how old I was. 50 minus 22. I was 38. I was 38. 
after. But anyway, I, I was older. There's 10 years between um, Katie and Andrew, and eight years between, um, I think Dave's either messaging somebody else going, oh, she's losing it, she's being such a dumbass, or he's messaging me going, this is the math, this is how it works. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I don't judge anybody anybody's parenting unless it's really bad um uh, sorry my sister just got back to me dead air uh i can't my brain's not functioning it's because i was up way too early this morning technically didn't have to be up until quarter after seven and I ended up getting, I woke up at five and I kind of tossed and turned for the last two hours because I knew I only have two hours left to sleep. My alarm's going to go off in two hours. Well, it's less than two hours now. Now I have about an hour and a half. So, yeah. Um, it was the dishwasher. Dishwasher's acting up, so they had to shut the power off to fix it. But anyway... I didn't, I don't think it affected the podcast. It shouldn't have affected the podcast. I watched the internet and the internet didn't disappear. So I think we're good on that aspect. I wasn't uploading it and I'm recording it to, um, I have to put the gate up. Remind me when I'm done this, I have to put the gate up. We have to put the gate up at the top of the stairs so that the kids, when they go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, don't fall down the stairs. Or when I get up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night, I don't fall down the stairs because I'm more likely to fall down the stairs than they are. Because, <laughs> you know, if you know me, you know me. It happens. Um, I'm kind of struggling tonight. I don't know if you can tell. I've kind of gone off on a few tangents just, you know, weird directions that my brain has taken me. I did actually want to talk to you about something. So before I got here, my um, sister's neighbor had brought over a bug carrier full of um, butterfly cocoons. Now, he apparently has been doing this for decades. And if you know anything about the monarch butterfly, you know the monarch butterfly is on the endangered species list because of climate change and um, urban sprawl and flight patterns and everything, it's really affected the monarch butterfly. So he has been cultivating caterpillars, monarch caterpillars, and um, incubating or whatever you do. I don't know if they hang from the roof of this bug box. <laughs> terrarium thing and um he releases them every year so he brought 32 chrysalises over for my niece and my my nieces and my nephew and when i got here there were three left four actually um and when i arrived two of them had had hatched and were in the uh in the bug box so we had to release them 
and then there was one left that was green and one that was black. And we were pretty sure the black one was not a survivor. Uh, but the green one looked like it was really neat. It was like this iridescent metallic green with gold flakes and gold lines all through it. And Heather's look, my sister's looking at it and she's like, that's going to hatch. I bet you it's going to hatch tonight. Sure enough, we came down this morning. There he was banging around in the box. He was an aggressive little bugger. The other ones, they just, they hatch and they hang there like they're doing their thing. They're flapping their little wings. Just hanging around waiting for you to take them outside because they're hungry. Um, and like my niece was beyond thrilled. One of her favorite, favorite books is The Very Hungry Caterpillar. And I don't know if you haven't read The Very Hungry Caterpillar. It's about this caterpillar that is, is, is born and he's very hungry. And he eats his way through one apple and two pears and three oranges and four plums and five strawberries. And then on the weekend, he goes through like the litany of candy and cakes and popcorn and then has a very upset stomach. And then Sunday, he eats his way through a green leaf and creates a cocoon around himself. And then two weeks later emerges as this beautiful butterfly. So for Haley to see all of these cocoons and to see these butterflies emerge from these cocoons just blew her mind. Um, we ended up playing two Very Hungry Caterpillar games today because uh, it was school day for everybody. Um, but... Yeah, so I got to release two of them with, with my niece, and we took them out, and you don't touch their wings because there's there's dust on their wings, and you don't if you touch their wings, then you remove the dust, and it makes it very difficult for them to fly. Um, so you have to kind of scoop your hand under and let them walk onto your hand, and it's really neat because it feels like they've got these little barbed feet that like latch onto you and, and hook in. And it doesn't hurt, but it just feels really cool. And then their little, their little antenna sucky thingy, their tongue, I don't know what it is. It's this little long thing on their face. It starts going on your finger and it's like licking up all of the, the salt on your skin. And it feels so cool. It tickles. It's so neat. And when, he, when, when my niece and I were, were heading out and I've got the bug box and we're heading out with the two of them, she looks up at me and she says, you're going to have to be very brave, Aunt Teffy. Okay. I was very brave. So we get out there and uh, I get get him on my hand. And she's like, can I hold it? Can I hold it? I'm very brave. I'm very brave. So we put the butterfly on her little hand and she's holding it. And then we get it over to the flower because, you know, you want to put them near a flower so that they can eat because it's, September, so they're all flying to Mexico right now. Um, so we put it, I take it back and we put it on the the flower, and you know it does great. And then um, we get the other one out, and the other one kind of looks at the two of us and flies away, just gone, flies away. No, the first one when we put it on the flower, it kind of walks around on the flower and then flies away, it goes over the house, heads north. I'm like, dude, you're going the wrong way. So we get the second one out and he's like doing his thing and he's stretching his wings and he's getting ready to go and his wings are getting faster and faster and faster. Phew, gone. He flies away too. But this time he's going south. So we know he's going in the right direction. Now, there was one left 
and it hatched. We came down this morning and it had hatched. So we decided to wait until my nephew came home from school so that he could be part of the release of the last butterfly. So we all let it go and he flew away and it was so cool, but it was really neat to see these, these cocoons and then these huge butterflies come out of them. It's like they've got go-go gadget wings or something <laughs> like thump, 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 as they come out. Um, but monarch butterflies embark on an amazing migratory phenomenon. They travel between 12,000 and 2,800 miles or more from the northeast United States and southeast Canada to the mountain forests in central Mexico. And that's where they find the right climate conditions to hibernate from the beginning of November to mid-March. The monarch butterfly is known by scientists as Danos plexippus, which in Greek literally means sleepy transformation. The name evokes the species' ability to hibernate and metamorphosize. Metamorph metamorphize? Adult monarch butterflies possess two pairs of brilliant orange-red wings, featuring black veins and white spots along the edges. Males, who possess distinguishing black dots along the veins of their wings, see, that's I'll have to tell my nephew tomorrow, that's how we can tell if they're boys or girls, um, are slightly bigger than females. Each adult butterfly lives only about four to five weeks. So hopefully, out of 32 cocoons that were brought over, 31 survived and were released back into the wild to hopefully carry on and um, help build up the monarch butterfly population because I love them. I know for the longest time you didn't see monarch butterflies around um, and it, it they, they, they represent nature at least to me they represent nature at its most powerful. Tiny delicate creature can travel nearly 3,000 miles you know and it's like it's this tiny little thing with these paper thin little wings and off they go like it's, it's so cool but climate change threatens to disrupt the monarch butterfly's annual migration pattern by affecting weather conditions in both wintering grounds and summer breeding grounds colder wetter winters could be lethal to these creatures and hotter drier summers could shift suitable habitats north WWF's 2013, and no, not the Wrestling Federation, that was changed a while ago, the World Wildlife Foundation's 2013 <laughs> report from Mexico showed that the number of monarch butterflies, yes, my wild, my, my wild, my wild studio audience is giving it a thumbs down because he's a wrestling fan and he doesn't think it should have been changed, but the WWE has, or WWF has been around a lot longer than wrestling, so. <laughs> the panda gets to keep it. Sorry. Anyway, um, the number is measured by the amount of forests they occupy, and in 2013, the number of butterfly acres decreased from approximately seven to three. Abnormal patterns of drought and rainfall in the U.S. and Canada breeding sites may have caused adult butterfly deaths and less plant food for caterpillars. Future butterflies up north mean fewer than migrate south to Mexico for the winter. So for the longest time, we weren't seeing monarch butterflies anywhere. And then all of a sudden, you started seeing them again. 
Um, and it was great. But that's, I think a lot of it has to do too with, for the longest time, everybody was pesticide this and pesticide that and spray this and spray that and kill, 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 GMO and all of that good stuff. And then they realized, oh crap, this isn't good for us. This is causing cancer. Maybe we need to save the humans. And in saving the humans, they stopped using the pesticides, which actually saved the monarchs. See how that works? So that's just my theory. I kind of think it's a good one. But yeah, so we uh, did a little science and released the monarch butterfly. And I will tell um, my nephew tomorrow that you can tell a male butterfly by the back dots along his spine. So, um, I think I'm going to wrap this week's episode up. I don't think I have anything else that I want to share with you right now. Um, other than a story I've been waiting to read the end of is finally ended and oh my god, it was fantastic. <laughs> like you know how you're reading a story and you know you're getting close to the end and you've built it up in your mind and then you read it and even though it's like incredible you're still kind of let down because it's not as big as you built it up in your mind to be yeah no not this one not this one when i found out who the killer was yes i was so excited because yeah i knew and then you're reading it and you you start going back over all of the little clues that the author has put all the way through the story. And you're like, duh, that's plain as day. I should have, like, I don't understand why I didn't see that. How stupid am I? But they're so well written into the story that it's kind of like an afterthought. Like you don't, it just kind of blends into the story. And it's a lot of times he would leave these little clues in the middle of a murder scene. Or, you know, some guy's going psycho and there's this little tidbit of information dropped and you're like, somebody just got disemboweled. I, I'm over here paying attention to this, not this. <laughs> so, and sometimes it's just one line that a character says. Just one line that a character says. And if you don't catch that one line, you're scratching your head three chapters later going, what did I miss? Or you get to the end of the book and you're like, oh, right. Because I actually did that at the end of the book. It was one line. <laughs> and the author's actually watching right now. And I'm not, I'm telling you right now, I'm not saying any of this to blow smoke up his ass. It is an incredible story. The twists and turns and the, the, crime aspect of it the investigating aspect of it um will pull you in because i mean i'm i'm a big fan of criminal minds i'm a big fan of law and order so that all kind of sucked me in and then there's this this i don't know i don't know i still even though i know i still you know kind of have a thing for the gray-eyed man i'm not gonna lie He's very, uh, when he's the gray-eyed man, he's very dapper. He's very distinguished. He's very cold and calculating and just, I don't know, there's something about him. But, yeah. I can't wait for it to come out in book form. I really can't. I can't wait to get my hands on the entire manuscript and edit it. I'm just, I'm thrilled. Absolutely thrilled. <laughs>
I love it. I absolutely love it. And you'll love it too. Trust me, you will. Because um, there's so much more in the book form than he put online too. Like you got snippets online. Um, but yeah, yeah. I, I got to read the final chapter tonight and the epilogue. <laughs> so I can tell you with absolute certainty, there will be a book too. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, uh, it's a really good book. I'm really looking forward to it. And it's actually coming out this year because it's, it's finished. It's finished. Um, I have edited most of it. So it's, a lot of those chapters are going to be edited for continuity and um, flow. But, oh, sorry, I'm, I'm getting comfortable. I ate too much at dinner. My sister made her famous chicken parmesan. Oh, it was so good. I had two helpings. I only had one helping of the noodles, but I had two helpings of the chicken. And then she, when we were shopping the other day, we were grabbing salad, and we both looked at each other, and she grabbed a bag of avocado ranch. Her and I love that salad. I bought a bag of it when I was in California and ate that when Dave was at work because he's allergic to avocado. So I ate the entire bag by myself. <laughs> mm. um, but her and I just absolutely love the avocado ranch. It's so good. But, uh, yeah, and then there was... Um, green beans done in um, ginger and pecans and olive oil. Those are so tasty. Oh, yeah. When I was here the other night, we had steak for dinner, and I'm just like, oh. and my sister looks up at me from across the table, and she says, you missed eating here, didn't you? I said, oh, yeah. Best part about coming is the food. <laughs> But, you know, I did a two-mile walk today, so I'm burning that food off. And then we walked over to Monk's, which is um, a chocolate and ice cream shop. Family-owned, just little mom-and-pop thing. They do great ice cream. So we got ice cream and then walked back. So, yeah. Huh? Oh. Oh, sorry. My live studio audience was showing me something. Anyway, like I said, I think I'm going to end it here. I have another early morning tomorrow. Um, but tomorrow I'm going to sit down with my planner and we're going to get all the social media back on track. So you're going to start seeing more ads for things in MythMart. Um, I'm going to be doing the marketing campaign for Liberty's Run 2 because uh, I had to redo it. Long story. Um, so that's going to be coming out. So watch for that on Instagram, Facebook, all of our Facebook pages. Um, so that would be like Myth Bits, Dark Myth Publications, Lupus Bits, uh, The World of Myth Magazine, Zombie Works. It'll be all over there. It'll be on our Instagram pages. It'll be on our Twitter pages. Um, there will be T-shirts at some point coming out for Liberty's Run. If you have a favorite character, like I do, I like Uncle Danny, I like Tessie, I like Colin, I like Liberty, I like Tag. Um, I want a shirt that, I, I don't think Walter's designed one, so Walter, if you're listening, I'm designing a shirt for you, for Liberty, 
that says, you're killing me, Smalls. Because I just love it. I really do. And anything Bath says, anything Bath says, she's freaking hilarious. Um, but yeah, um, I've got to get on that. I've kind of let some things slide. I've let a lot of things slide lately. Um, kind of dealing with some stuff emotionally and mentally that I really didn't know I was dealing with until I realized I was dealing with it. Um, so I'm time, it's time to get back on track, back into the swing of things, get my planner back up to date, get everything set out the days that I have to release it, get onto my computer and get all of the stuff created and posted and like, set up ready to pre-launch. Um, I don't have anything to edit book-wise right now. I do have two books coming up. I'm getting the, okay, so there's going to be a business meeting at the end of this podcast. Because <laughs> I swore the other day I was forgetting something, but I couldn't find it. So, all right, I'm going to go. Have a good night, everybody. I hope you guys have a stellar weekend and you guys stay out of trouble. We've only, if you're here in Ontario or in Canada, there are only a few weekends left that are going to be hospitable outside and then it's just going to be ugly and it's going to be cold and it's going to be wet. I mean, there'll be a lot of pretty colors. What? Your mayor, what'd you say? Oh, your name is here. He's mouthing something at me and I can never figure it out. Yeah, yeah, what he said. It goes back to being Canada. Um, oh, I have three. Oh, right. Unwanted. Yes, and then yours. Yes, I knew I had the other two. I forgot about unwanted. It's unwanted, not unwelcomed. I thought it was unwanted. It's not welcome. Anyway, neither one of us can agree on the title of the anthology that we're putting out, but you know, it's out there. <laughs> Go find it. <laughs> He's gone to look. I think it's un. I thought it was unwanted. See, you're going to make me go look now, because now i got to tell my listeners. Oh, I can do it on my phone. Hold on. Let me see. Dee, 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 dee. Play the Jeopardy song, but only less than 30 seconds of it. Aww. Sorry, I'm putting an emotional comment at the moment. No, I can't write what I just said. I'm writing that as a girlfriend, not as his editor. I'm writing that as his girlfriend, not as his editor. Okay. Uh, now, I am looking for, um, what am I looking for? We need to go over to, it is what I'm welcomed. 
All right. Well, I stand corrected while I'm sitting. So I sit corrected. I don't want to review the changes. Why do they keep changing our pages? No. Damn. Okay, so it is. Unwelcomed. Oops, my bad. Might explain why on the 17th of August nobody sent anything in because I had the wrong title. Oops. Anyway, unwelcomed. <laughs> I even changed the banner to match the uh, name and it's unwelcomed. I created the commercial. It's unwelcomed. So, yeah, it's like if you do, it says, do you have a story about a haunting demon possession? All submissions must be in dot doc format, double space, 12 point font. Please underline all italic words. I cannot stress that enough. This is a mandatory requirement for the printer. It's also a mandatory requirement for the editor because it's a pain in the ass looking for all the italicized words in the story. Anyway. Because I have to block them so that when they go to the publisher, he knows how to code them. When he strips all the coding and everything out to put it in book format, he knows because he sees these little blocks around the italicized words. He knows, oh, yes, those have to be italicized because they're not once he strips all of the coding out. Once he strips all of the bold and, and everything out, they're just plain letters. So if they don't I know. I love editing your books. <laughs> See, the fun part about editing the coder's books is he already underlines and blocks all of the stuff that he knows he's going to have to code. So it's great. Um, the deadline is August 22nd, but we, we've extended it to Friday. Uh, Zombie Works Publications will pay $0.10 cents per book per author. You only get one submission per book. Um, I will share this so that you all can read it. I shared it from my personal account. So if you're my friend or on my personal account, my Lupa account, you'll see it. Um, oh, that's natural instincts. Okay. Anyway, carry on. So, yeah. Hmm. Um. All right, I need to get off Facebook because it's making my brain melt. Okay, so I'm out of here. I'm literally, literally out of here. Oh, you will hear me again. Um, Tim Law has taken over uh, the world of Mythbits. Like I said, he's doing an absolutely smashing job. I couldn't be more thrilled um, at the job that he is doing. Um, I have a, I have an investment in that podcast. I have a personal connection to that podcast. So to see somebody new come in, I'm always apprehensive. I'm always kind of holding my breath and, and, you know, thinking in the back of my head, don't screw it up. Don't screw it up. I don't want to have to take it back and do it. I will. Which brings me to the next tidbit of information. <laughs> um, the magazine reviews are going to be happening. What is going to be happening with the magazine reviews right now until Tim kind of gets his feet underneath them and he gets a little more confidence and a little more comfortable with doing the podcasts is I will be doing the magazine reviews again. 
Yes, you're going to hear me. I will be doing the magazine reviews. Now, they're not going to be done like the, the way they've always been done, where, you know, you have the episode the week before, and then the next episode is the next concurrent number, and it's magazine review. They are going to be a separate entity. So you're going to have Tim doing the weekly podcasts, and then on the week that I do the magazine review, two podcasts are going to come out that week. Sorry, Dave. <laughs> but I will do the review well in advance, and he will have time to code it and get it ready and set it up for pre-release. So I will be doing the magazine reviews right now. Uh, there could be Dave might do them once in a while if I don't get a chance. Uh, we might tap Mr. Lutz and see how he's doing and see if he'd be willing to be a guest uh, reviewer. But the magazine reviews will continue with all of the integrity, all of the honesty, and all of the insight that you have all know, come to know and love that has always been part of our reviews. Now, I'm not going to be as good as Jenna because I'm not Jenna. But I'm going to be me. The way I did them, the way I will continue to do them. So, y'all loved me at one point. <laughs> You'll love me again. Anyway, so yeah, the magazine reviews will continue. And uh, will be coming out last month's magazine review. August's magazine review will be coming out within the next week or two. So prepare for that. Um, and yeah, that's how it's going to go. So all right, everybody. Seriously, this time, I'm not shitting you. I am out of here. I'm not telling you no lies. I want you all to have a great weekend, have a great week. Um, I'm going to try and have the best week possible. I'm going to bed very, very soon. I love you all. Wash your hands, wear your mask if you feel it's appropriate, and say it with me now, don't lick shit. All right, everybody, have a good week. See ya. There'll be peace when you are gone Lay your weary head to rest Don't you cry